1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker
0: Welcome back to the and Fin Podcast Network. Its brought to
2: you by YackAdge. For all your fine quality kayak fishing accessories. go to yakadget.com. Pelican cases coolers, and lighter, go to pelican.com, and the 153 bait Company, for all your hard and soft bait needs, go to the 153anglers.com. So join with me and together we to dive into the tips and techniques that will help make us better anglers out on the water. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning back in to the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I am your host, Sean Lavery. Tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about jigs, following along on um, my kind of Back to the Basic series. Um, I, again, I, I consider kind of a jig kind of a basic starting lore, and, you know, something you should, you know, if you can get really good on the jig, you, it can help you in lots of other ways. Um, and I'm kind of doing this as uh, do as I say, not as I do, because I am not an expert on jigs. Um, I kind of skipped over it because I was super frustrated the few times I tried it. And um, that's why I really wanted to do a show on it tonight. So to help me learn and get better, um, I have some of my fellow um, Paddle and Fit hosts. Uh, I have the OG Brian, the Killer Shiller, and (laughs) Mr... JP himself from the Off the Water Podcast. <laughs> oh, let me see if I can add JP. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you go, that'd
3: be here. What's up, everybody?
2: <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> What's going on? So welcome guys. My yeah. my video's yep. a little up oh, there it goes. It just clicked in. All right, cool. So thanks for joining me tonight, gents. Yeah, absolutely, no man. No problem. Um, I'm I'm ready to be schooled, man. So jigs um my my mortal enemy i I have no luck um i have uh, you can see here this is my jig box it's full i have no excuse not to catch fish on it um i just i don't know um so i want to learn so where where should we start okay so i know let's let's start with types of jigs because i know um kind of there's a kind of jig for lots of different kind of areas so do you think that's a good place to start sure the first one you have to do though is called the brian sheeler jig on,
3: uh, on oh, a yeah. uh blue sky
2: <laughs>
1: i should have had before that before you enough. learn
2: any other ones you have to learn the blue sky jig
1: you got to know how to dance a jig before you could fish a jig
2: well if i catch that's... a fish on a jig i will definitely be
1: dancing a jig. <laughs> that's the key to success right there
3: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I cool. mean, there. I. I mean, I guess I'll. I'll start, man. Like, my opinion is yes. There's tons of different jigs. I think people sometimes overcomplicate it and like overthink it a little too much. Um, I mean, yeah, there are some subtle differences you could do with like the different styles of jigs, but I think if you try to keep it simple um, and just work those jigs in the same fashion you're going to get the same results um with the exception of a swim jig
2: well and, you know and jp I mean? actually has a couple of other things that he's going to classify as a jig that i actually have caught fish on because he's going to talk about bladed jigs so sure. i've i've caught chatterbait fish and he's also going to talk about a ned rig and uh, he's calling that a jig too so
1: sure absolutely, uh, absolutely. so i've
2: definitely caught fish on that um I'm kind of, when I say I haven't caught fish on a jig, I'm kind of referring to the, you know, the OG original, you know. Like
1: football jig, uh, flipping jig type yep. style stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So, All right. JP,
2: what do you got? So,
3: to kind of start us off, the way I look at a jig is kind of the way you look at lure selection and lure size, right? Everyone wants to go, you know, from, Uh, picking the biggest to the smallest. And there's different styles of variety. But a jig itself, all it is is a piece of lead that is attached, lead or tungsten, that is attached to a hook. That is essentially what a jig is in its bare form. When people start adding to it, so when you start talking about skirts, the molding of the heads of the jig, uh, the styles per se it all comes down to the same thing as classification as jigs. So the way I look at it and I break it down is quite simple. Uh, if I'm around, let's say there's two, two situations structure and open cover. And when I say open cover, I'm talking about weeds, rocks, anything where fish are going to be hiding or staging it. Um, you start using the variety of jigs, and if when you talk about high to low pressure, and there's some things I want to get into when we talk about style and selection, but you know, typically you're going to be either throwing a football jig or a swim jig in any of these circumstances. When we start going and deriving into other things and specifications, we're going to talk about why those applications work the way they do. I don't know if that makes sense for a good basis, but in my brain, that's how I'm looking at it. And
2: I'll break it down even more. Okay, cool. Do you have anything to add to that, Brian? No, I agree with everything he said. So one of my, my big starting off questions is, and I think part of the reason why I struggle is because I feel like when you're throwing a jig, you almost have to know that there's fish in the area. It's not a search bait. Is that kind of, you know, what you guys would say? I because that to me, that's been my biggest frustration. Is uh, when I throw it, I have no clue, I have no confidence that I'm just gonna magically run across a bass, you know.
1: You, yeah, with the exception of a swim jig, I think a swim jig you could, you know, because you, and obviously, you know, you mentioned the bladed jig or chatterbait, mm-hmm. like those are essentially search baits, um, right? But yeah, I think when you're talking like traditional like your traditional football jig, you know, something that most folks think of when you speak of jig fishing. I mean, yeah, you got to kind of know there's fish there um, for sure. And, you know, like a good scenario is like one day you're crushing them on a swim jig, you go back to that same spot and it's like, you can't get a bite on a swim jig. So you slow it down a little bit and you switch to that, you know, flipping jig, football jig, things like that. Yep. Um, so on and so forth.
3: Cool, yeah, I, I and definitely. We're a lot of times when you're using a jig, you are targeting a known location where that's going to hold fish, whether that's a dock, whether that's a rock that has that's having breakwater on it on the river, and you're pitching to the backside of it, knowing there's going to be a fish on the other side of that, letting that jig come downstream with a crawl. If you're targeting, and when we talk about thick mats if you're punching with jigs that are heavier than an ounce to get down you know to get down they are technique specific until you start adding to them and like brian mentioned like a bladed jig or a chatterbait is a technique specific kind of jig but for the most part your down and dirty is going to be targeting areas where fish are known to be holding
0: right
2: okay cool all right, so uh, we already t- uh, kind of announced a couple of the types of jigs, but um, I know you, and you said uh, it really depends on your location. So we'll start with what I consider kind of like the standard jig. When I think of a jig, I think of um, probably a football jig is probably yep. you know mm-hmm. what I think of as a jig. And I, I don't know, uh, JP, what picture you have as an example, but um, – sure a football head jig you can see hopefully there it has uh, a very wide uh weight on the end uh whether that's tungsten or lead um and it's made from my understanding for you know very rocky environments where you this will kind of not go down in those little cracks between the rocks and get stuck as much as some of the other style of heads is that kind of the
1: yes and no i mean yeah yeah. i mean um You'll notice on the back side of that head, for those that are watching on like YouTube or Facebook, it's got a flat spot. So that's so that jig stands up. So, you know, we I'm sure we'll get into jig trailers and things like that. But, you know, typically you want that jig standing up as it's bouncing over those rocks. Um, or like the one main spot, like I like to throw it to that. We didn't mention yet is like lay downs around lay downs where you can't really like get anything else into those tight spots and you could flip in and really pick apart, you know, trees laying down in the water, things like that too. um, running it parallel with like tree trunks is probably one of my favorite things to do because nine times out of a 10, you know, there's fish, just hunkered down underneath that trunk. And as you work that jig by them, they're coming out and just swooping that up, you know?
2: Okay. And now I, I also have this one, which is actually a jig master's jig. Yeah. Um, now, would you consider this a football head jig? It's, it's,
1: it's, it's very similar. Like he calls that his flipping jig or his casting yeah. jig. Like okay. I, I fish both the same exact way. Like that's kind of what f- I figured yeah i don't fish those any different um i do like like the jig masters heads for the instance that they stand up a little bit better they got more right. of a a flatter surface in a wider stance on that head so you know standing up like you know having that uh that jig stand up in the water has always been something i thought was a crucial part to my jig fishing so to speak um and again it, it it all depends on what you're fishing around, you know. Like if you're fishing through grass, you know, you might want um uh, like a uh a, a sleeker style head, no flat spots, so that way it's it's got a nice smooth round head, so it's pulling right through that grass, you know, whereas like you know, what JP and I were talking about fishing around rock, rock piles, lay downs, things like that, I think that better suits. Like that casting jig or a football jig, so to speak.
2: Okay.
3: Yo, I'm, I'm actually I want to show something um, that me and Brian we both got to experience uh, down on Table Rock Lake, and it was actually Brian who had that exact um, the exact jig you're using.
1: That uh, color, is. yeah.
3: Yeah. So here, let me uh, let me pull this up on the screen. I just found the
1: picture. Hang on so uh yeah that was that was the casting jig in that color pattern that you had in the football um and i'm i forget the name of it off the top of my head i think it's like summer craw 2.0 or something like that from jig masters candy craw 2.0 yeah there it is. and uh <laughs> so that that's my pb smally right there and um I found a rock pile out in like 20 foot of water. I think it was 18, 20 foot of water. And, you know, with my electronics side scanned over it, saw it and, uh, pitched out to it, hopped that jig right over that, that rock pile in that smallie just came and just hammered it. Um, you know, so that's, that's another thing like deep structure like that not necessarily like something you would think of like you know speaking of table rock like there's a lot of flooded timber like trees under the surface of water where like you'll cast that jig out let it sink all the way to the bottom and run it around those bases of trees and you know there's usually you know some fish around there a lot of big jagged rock uh love you know fishing through there especially if there's like shelves under that rock or like pockets under that rock where fish can hide and you bring that jig and just let it fall right in front of their face and like i said it's same thing as a lay down just come out and smack it and then they'll try to run back underneath that rock you know um it's kind of like uh i it to river fishing right like river like smallmouth typically sit in the seams and they'll come out grab bait or whatever as it comes by and then move back into that slack water kind of the same, same theory, you know, like try to fish those spots where it's not necessarily current, but would be like a little hiding spot, you know, where they can come out, grab that, that bait and move back in.
2: That
3: makes sense. Uh, Go ahead, JP. You know what? I was actually in Brian's hitting on the head. I just want to share this one too. Um, so, this actually right here, uh, that's also my PB at Table Rock as well. And what Brian just described is exactly the same way, uh, I got this smallmouth, which was on a jig, it was on a jig as well. And you side scanned, I, I found that rock pile side scanning, cast it out to that rock pile that was at about 18 to 20 foot of water. And right there, that's, I mean, right, caught him right, right off of that. And, uh, you know, when we talk about, too, um Table Rock and, and other lakes, too, you know, that was a confidence booster for me uh, at that point because it, I was kind of intimidated by the actual depth and the perspective of what Table Rock has. So, like, when they say re- it's relative to the lake, so when we're catching them 18, 20 foot of water, that's technically shallow for that lake. Guys were <laughs> catching fish. In, in 15 foot of water on whopper ploppers. I, I'm like, what? Wow.
1: Yeah. But that right.
3: lake, that lake is so clear and it goes down for hundreds of feet. And so when when you talk about hundreds of feet, because essentially what that lake was was a town that got that got flooded out in order to make a better damming system. And uh, so there's houses, there's trees, I mean it's like a whole city underwater there. Yeah, And uh and, you know, relative with all those trees, all that provides structure for those fish. So using a jig is essentially one of the most efficient ways to catch fish out of that lake.
1: Yeah, well, and that's a thing, too, right? Efficient due to the fact that, like, you know, a lot of times jigs are heavy. You know, I mean, you got your three-eighths ounce, half ounce, quarter ounce, all the way up to three-quarter and one ounce. So... When you're talking efficient, a lot of those fish hunker to the bottom, getting down to those depths in a quick amount of time, you know, like I was throwing a half ounce, uh, mm-hmm. really could have been throwing a three quarter or a one ounce to get down to those depths faster. However, like I'm a big proponent of the weight is going to change the action of the bait too, in, in the action Absolutely. of the trailer, um, because when you're hopping that, like that, that's the most common retrieve is is hopping it. You know, the jig hopping along the bottom of the of the water column or the you know whatever your bottom of the body of water you're fishing is essentially a hop. Sometimes you could do like a slow reel, so it's just like when you got a crawfish pattern on and you see a lot of crayfish like activity slow reeling it on the bottom like a crayfish swimming away like there's there's a couple different techniques there but the most common is a hop so when you're working that bottom and you're on a school of fish you want to be able to catch one and get back down to it as fast as possible yeah. and I'm talking from like a tournament scenario but not only that but like your fun fishing usually like I see it all the time here in my home lake right like I fish a lot of deep lake structure you catch one usually that fires the school up And you cast back out and you'll catch three, four or five fish in a row because you're firing that school up, you know, because they saw one freak out over a bait that came through. Now they're sitting there circling like sharks looking for that bait again. So if you're fishing 20 foot of water and you're using a quarter ounce jig, it's taking you, you know, probably three times as long to get down to the bottom compared to like a half or a three quarter ounce. So like when we're talking efficiency, I think like that's a key idea to bring up or a thought process on that
3: yeah absolutely and you know going back to that same tournament we were fishing day one you know i was able to pull a good limit and and it was all because those fish where we had a wind blowing that was blowing into the to the shore i was fishing uh primary and secondary points and that was blowing whatever bait fish or whatever forage was in that water but it was a steady drop going down, and throwing that craw, jig and craw to the shore and let it fall and work its way down, subtly triggered those fish, and those fish were all school. I got all, all five fish I got were right off that same point, just going back and forth because they were all schooled up there looking for that forge to come in and out, and it happened to be using a uh, you know a jewel jig with a uh, with a uh, zoom speed craw. Sure. Is, okay. That was the, that was the ticket. And that, and essentially that's been my ticket for a lot of my fish there on after. I mean, I, I have so much confidence in those jigs. Um, if you don't mind, can I pull it up and, and show what we're talking about? Yeah. they're a little bit different than the normal jig that's out there? Okay. So here, let me, let me share this on the screen.
2: While you're pulling that up. I think, you know, that is definitely one of the uh, best lessons I've learned, you know, that kind of transformed my fishing is always make another cast in after you catch a fish. Now, when I first started, you know, I'd be so happy that I caught a fish and I'd be so excited. Oh my gosh, I got a (laughs) fish. And I'd forget all about throwing back in there and trying again uh, until I was past the spot or whatever. But, uh, but um, yeah, definitely, you know, once you catch a fish, make note of where you caught it, you know, kind of what you were doing and go right back and see, cause like you're right, you're right. Nine times out of 10, You know, if there's one there, you know, there's, you know, found to be more another one there more often than not. So
1: for sure. For sure. Yeah. Especially when you're jig fishing too, but it it depends as well. Like, like those deep rock piles, like you would get fish schooled up. If you're fishing a lay down, yeah, you might have like one or two tucked up underneath a log. It all depends, you know, depends how big that tree is or log or whatever in the water. But, uh, you know, I would I would always primarily focus on like something structure for say when we're talking football flipping jigs, things like that.
3: So this jig right here is the jewel jig. This is their finesse jig. Um, So what what makes this kind of stand out from other jigs that are out there is that it is essentially a football jig. The skirts um, brought up further on it. But however, the way the head is designed, it has a it, it's rounded, but then it's kind of punched out a little bit and, and it gives it a very unique fall. It actually seems to slow the fall down a little bit more, uh, but it's causing more what that essentially is doing is causing more action with your trailer. And that's the next thing we're gonna get talking to is trailer te- uh, presentation and techniques as well with the trailer selection with these uh, with these jigs. But, I, you know what, when, I, when you talk about it, it has the versatility of a football jig with the action of a swim jig. And I, didn't, I, I never knew about this jig until I was doing my research for Table Rock. These guys are based out of the Ozarks, uh, based uh, in Arkansas. And kind of primarily they keep to like the Bull Shoals, um, Table Rock, Lake of the Ozarks, that area. Uh, so they're exclusive to that area, but it's, uh, this jig is the way it fishes and the way it it works. It's my favorite jig in the entire world. And I, man, I, I, if anybody asked me, which one would I give you, this is what I would give you in a heartbeat. Um, you know, it's kind of the all
2: around go-to
3: for, you know, having all techniques together.
2: Interesting. I have one that's very similar to that. It's actually a six cents finesse jig. Yep. I don't know if you guys can see that. Um, this one, uh, the, what makes this one weird is it has a, uh, the screw lock on the hook yep. of the jig. Yep. But um, so again, <laughs> I, I, I have no excuse for not, not catching them. Cause I have about every kind there is, but, um, but yeah, I've, I, I've, I haven't even thrown this one yet. I've had it. Most of my jigs have never seen the outside of my jig box, sadly.
1: <laughs> so if we're talking jig. finesse jigs, this is like one of my favorite go-tos. This is the Kytec tungsten football jig. Okay. And this is a very small finesse jig. And because it's t- uh, tungsten weight, um, it's very small and compact. So like, you know, when, it, when you want to slim down your profile when the bite is tough, tie one of these on with like a TRD craw and get ready because it's about to be chomp city.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, jig, jig masters also has a finesse jig.
1: Yeah. Their finesse jig is cool too. I like it.
2: Yeah. it uh, and it has, what makes it unique is it has like a kind of the screw lock is almost off makes the it head in, of the, yeah, but in line with the hook too. So yep. you can almost Texas rig your, your bait. Um, It doesn't have a weed guard, but you can Texas rig it, which basically does that for you. So,
1: Heck, yeah. Yeah, I like that jig, man. Those things are super sexy.
3: (laughs) Now, you know, we're talking about the styles of jigs and, and, um, you know, things that are going on. And obviously, I I think we just, for our listeners, making the distinguishment, you know, we're we're talking about finesse jigs. We're talking about uh, swim jigs and football jigs. I think we have a basis in understanding a football jig versus a swim jig versus a finesse jig.
2: Agreed, Sean? Sure. Okay, yeah, I think so. Yep.
3: So I, I think now we can move on and, and talk about the other factor to this is which is just as big as selecting jig, but is selecting the proper trailer to go with these jigs. So I, I you know I'm a big proponent. I love uh the zoom speed cross. I, I think those have some of the best action in the pro in the claws themselves. Uh, when they're going down, they move back and forth, give it you know a displacement of water when they're going down. Uh, okay. But that's just the way they're designed. They're designed inward versus other trailers out there are more out or flat, which gives it a different action presentation. Uh, I just have a preference for those, but I'm you know there's a million just like us fishermen and the fish, there's a million different products out there to lure us to what kind of trailers we want to put on the back of our, uh, of our rigs. Yeah. I mean,
1: I'm a, I'm a big proponent with like playing with different jig trailers and jig, jig trailer options. Like my, my favorite go-to with like a standard half ounce football jig is a Berkeley chigger craw. Um, It's, it's just something that's always been successful for me. Um, And it's not very much different than the zoom. Um, I've used a zoom too. I've used, um, the Z man turbo cross as well. Um, just as good. Um, I mean, they're all kind of similar in their own fashion. Um, but what you could also do is, um, and what I've done numerous times is like use small creature baits as well. Um, and put those on, I know guys that'll use, uh, swim baits as trailers. Um okay. especially yeah. like on a swim jig, of course, but I'm talking on a football jig or a small finesse jig. I know a couple guys that'll use like paddle tails as trailers too. Like okay. something something different to think about, especially like if you got a shad spawn or something like that going on. Um, you might want to do that versus you know using a craw or a creature style trailer. Um, that's always a thought. And not only that, too, but like a basic twister tail, uh, a worm, um, Hmm. you know, like a cut tail worm, something like that. Like if you want a slimmer profile, like like we were talking about, like a casting jig with a slimmer head and pulling it through grass. You may want to put like a four or five inch finesse worm on there, you know, like that's the thing, too. I think there's no right or wrong way but there's a ton of different options when it, and, and that's what makes jig fishing cool to me is like, you could do it so many different ways. And, Absolutely. you know, like crayfish may work one day, a paddle tail may work the next day. And you're like, what? ah, why can't I just there's figure no out no like, one reason. way to do it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, But I think like the, the big thing is, is, um, I I thought about this leading up to tonight. I was thinking about a couple of things. Like I wanted to mention like tips and tricks that I do. Like when I fish that chigger craw, right. And I'm fishing it and say get bit and I come back and a claw is missing. Okay. Well, those fish are short striking that jig. They're just grabbing the claw. Yep. So what you may want to do is trim that craw down a little bit. So it gets further down on the hook head Mm
3: -hmm. and then,
1: trim your skirt as well so you still have that same profile like you're still keeping the same profile but you're bringing everything closer to that hook and nine times out of ten that'll help you get hookups rather than you know them just ripping your claws apart and you're like i just went through three bags of trailers and didn't catch a single (laughs) fish you know um something to think about like if you're getting short strikes like that is uh trim that down trim the skirt down things like that um that could be the difference of hooking into fish versus just continually missing them and like pulling your hair out. Like it took me a long time to like realize like what was going on and what to do to adjust to make that hookup ratio better rather than losing fish.
2: That was going to be one of my questions is how often do you trim? Like I've heard all sorts of things. Like you want to trim the skirt to like right below where the hook is so that my hook point is right there so some people would say trim right to the base of the hook and i've also heard about trimming the weed guard um until it's kind of right kind of where the hook hits it so i wasn't sure how much you guys do that like right off the bat or you wait and see what's happening first before you make those kind of adjustments very very
1: wait and see yeah yeah I'll, I'll generally wait till i get a bite um if i do trim my weed guard And I'll give credit to uh, G-Man for this, Um, Gerald Swindle. What he does is he'll cut it. So if you hold that back up, Sean, that jig Mm -hmm. with the weed guard. So if you cut um, at an angle, the weed guard at an angle uh, going Mm -hmm. up away from the hook. um, So you kind of have it at an angle. um, That helps a little bit. um, And it still protects your hook. But what I like to do is I like to grab that brush guard and kind of flatten it out. Like, instead of, like, how it's round, I'll kind of, like, stretch it and flatten it out so it's a little bit wider sometimes, too. Like, when you're going through real weedy cover, that sometimes helps. Like, just, just trying to kind of flatten that out. And I'll push it all the way down to the base of the hook. And so it's bended back towards that hook a little bit more instead of sticking straight up.
0: Um, right.
1: I find that helps as well.
0: Okay. Um,
1: it, as far as like trimming, like, like JP said, like I I'll usually wait, like my rule of thumb is like, I'll trim my trailer before I trim my skirt. Yeah. Um, uh, like I like to have it. So like when I have a, a trigger craw on a half ounce jig, I usually like it. So like the arm of the cross is starting right at the edge of the skirt or maybe just inside that skirt. So that way it like the skirt isn't holding up the action of that arm flapping in the water column, so to speak. Um, But sometimes like, it depends. Like if you get a three inch versus a four inch chigger crawl, like I've noticed sometimes I can only find four inch. So usually what I do is on the body of the actual chigger crawl, there's like ribs and I'll cut at the first rib or the second rib to bring it in a little bit mm-hmm. um, I know uh, the zoom speed crawls are the same right JP they're like ribbed on the back of the body
3: they are and there's two different sizes as well there's the MA- the mag UVs and then there's the regular size ones as well
1: sure
2: um, and then- but yeah go ahead
3: yeah but I mean again you know when you're talking about sizing, uh I, I kind of look at it, I, I just by marketing, I started noticing a pattern here. And the pattern that I've noticed is if you buy any jig that's between I would say give it the three eighths to about a five ounce jig. So your three eighths or one half and your five eighths, you're tending to go with a anywhere between a three and a four inch trailer. If you're going anything higher than that, you're going with the mag size or the bigger trailers that me and Brian, the mag or the uh, uh, four-inch crawl, to fit those bigger jigs. Just marketing-wise, I've I've seen those two pair. That's how, like, pairing together without really having to make adjustments, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I always used to be a guy, like, why would I cut up a perfectly good plastic? Like, I don't think you need to be afraid of, like, You know, you could just get all four inch and, and just trim them down to like suit your needs. Like, I mean, it's funny, like when I fish a shaky head, I use the zoom trick worms a lot. First thing I do is I bite like the first two or three ribs off. So it gives it a flat surface to put in my screw lock instead of having that rounded head, you know, like Mm -hmm. it doesn't make a difference. I haven't caught less fish or more fish because of it, you know, so I mean, don't be afraid to like trim down that plastic to uh, get it to the exact size you you need. So it fits on that hook and it it has just a nice, good presentation look um, when it's all put together with your jig.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I've used like these creature style baits. Like this is a 153 bait, but I'll I'll cut this off at maybe the second or third rib from the top because otherwise it's a pretty long trailer and, and it'll stick out pretty far, but... Um, you can see that's what's on this. So um, I have it coming out like kind of like you said, where the, the claws are just past where the skirt comes out. Yep. So, yep.
1: That's perfect, uh, man.
2: Yep. yep.
3: You're doing it so. right. <laughs> and you know, it's <laughs> funny because, you know, actually I want to kind of point something out and you should hold that, hold that back up real quick. Okay. okay. So we're talking about the trailers and selection and we're talking about you know, in the water, the technique in the, or the presentation, I should say. So like with those style prawns right there, or, or, you know, the claws. So you're going to have like a flutter when those are going down, right? That Mm -hmm. base going down, that's going to be going like this when it's going back and forth going down. And then when it's standing up, it's going to kick back and forth like this. All right. Okay. Now I'm going to share, I'm going to share my screen real quick again. Because I want to show just so people can understand, um, you know, when it, when we talk about trailer selection and understanding playing around with different trailers and how much of an important impact this makes. Um, so, like here, this is the zoom speed crawl right here. So, if you can see how the claws themselves are brought on the inside, these are now fluttering on the inside when they're going down. So, you're getting more action on the inside. And then when it's standing up, it's actually drawing and make, because if you look at it on the bottom, it's making almost like a bubble come up from, from those uh, claws after you're moving it around because the way they're turned in, uh, just something to think about when, when you're attaching them to your trailers and when you're selecting, you know um, what you, what you would like different styles create different actions in the water.
1: Yeah. And I think with those, uh, claws curled in a little bit too like when you swim that it almost gives those claws like a like a twister tail effect you know where it kind yeah. of swirls a little bit so that's the thing too right like when we talked about like you know sometimes they want a lot of action sometimes they don't want as much action and sometimes they want very little action so that's why it pays to like you could to have three jigs but like 10 different trailers with you and and it's good to have that just because you just don't know what, what the fish are going to be kind of keened in on that day. Um, So um, one thing I'll share real quick too, that I got pulled up the uh, the creature bait. I like to play with a lot is the, uh, the striking rage bug. So that's a nice little, little trailer and that's what I actually caught uh, that big smallmouth on was one of these uh, rage bug trailers on that uh, jig masters um, flipping jig down there on table rock. So
3: you mean the thing that comes out the predator's mouth when he opens up goes, <laughs>
1: yeah, pretty much, pretty much.
2: So I've used a uh, bunch of it? different ones. I've had the, the D bomb for missile baits. Yeah, um, that's a good one. That's this yep. one. Um, yep. So again, it looks similar to the one, five, three baits, but, uh, yeah. You know, and JP, I'm going to probably
3: have, I'm probably going to have ahead. the, uh, the unpopular opinion in the room right now, but <laughs> when we're talking about trailers, you know, and, and I think about swim drinking and interchanging stuff, I've always been a kind of stick to one stick to another kind of guy. So when I talk, when I think of a, you know, a, either a finesse or a, um, up jig head, um, I'm thinking crawfish, right? Because sure. that's where that's where that's going to be. When I think of a swim jig, and plus the way they're marketed to, I'm thinking that's where the pad tail. I'm going to put a pad tail on a swim jig because you're mimicking a fish. Particularly, a lot of the market tends to make a bluegill. You know, you'll you'll see, man. This this year, I have not seen more like Bassmasters had an article, and Fishman had an article about creating a swim jig that mimics a bluegill because sure. you're throwing around, you're throwing that swim jig around beds. And what happens the once the bass are done uh, spawning, the bluegills move up and that's the time you want to throw that kind of jig. So I, you know, you for anybody listening, be as creative as you want. I kind of stick to the bread and butter. A crawl a craw style goes onto a, uh, you know, a, uh a flathead um or um stand-up jig head versus a sweat uh swim bait goes to the swim jig. You know, just kind of the way I, I kind of keep it simple and streamlined like that.
2: And I was just gonna say, and what I, I know we want to talk about retrieves a little bit, and y- you you kind of talked about um the retrieve of a swim jig. I want to cover that because uh it, it's not just chuck and wine for the most part, but nope. um when I, I was going to say that I think it's a really good bluegill uh, imitator because when you stop that swim jig and the skirt flares out, you're getting that wider profile that a, yep. like uh, a bluegill will put off versus like a shiner or something smaller. And uh, so that's why I think a uh, swim jig in particular is a very good bluegill imitator uh, for a bait wise. Yeah, and you know totally it, with the swim jig, yeah, and. It, and, Sean, we're, we'll
3: cross that bridge into the other thing we were talking about before the show. But with that swim jig, um, you know, I, you know, when I'm throwing it, I, I'm a very visual person. So I like to visualize what that what that lure is doing in the water, right? So if I think it's going to mimic a bluegill, I want to make the action of what a bluegill would be doing. When I look down at the water and I see bluegill swim around, what do I see them doing? They're kind of hanging out. Then they scurry. They hang out, then they scurry. So when I'm doing this retrieve, you know, I'm giving it a pause, real, let it pause, kind of sit around, real enough to get those bass aggravated because it's stopping going, hey, it's stopping, it's picking at the bed or it's in my area, you know, looking around. I want that as a bass, I want that out of there. So when I think about how I, that lure is, I'm trying to put picture myself as the fish, if, if that makes sense.
2: No, that makes perfect sense. I think, uh, you know, that's definitely something that also was a learning experience for me is, is imagining what that lure is doing down there. And, you know, when it's a, a uh, you know, a crawl imitation and you're, you know, counting rocks, as they say, you know, kind of mm-hmm. just uh, popping it along the bottom up over a rock and down the other side. And, um, you know, that hopping technique. Um, I think the biggest thing for me for that was actually getting rods that were sensitive enough that I could, kind of figure out what i was doing because when i first started out the rods i had weren't sensitive enough so it just felt spongy everything down there i I couldn't tell what i was on what kind of bottom it was what i was bumping you know and and as i upgraded my rods a little bit uh it was kind of amazing like a light bulb went off and i was like oh that's what they're talking about okay (laughs) you know so i think that's a big deal knowing or at least imagining what your bait is doing at the other end of the line so
0: Yeah.
1: Boom. Yeah, I like doing uh during a shad spawn, I like doing a slow reel with a few twitches in there as you're reeling, just to mimic uh like an injured shad or something like that. Like that's a a good retrieve too when you're in that kind of situation. Shad spawn, something like that.
2: Well while we're Uh, I guess while we're on that subject, do you wanna talk about retrieves? So uh, I, you know, one of the ones that JP mentioned was the swim jig retrieve. And that was one that I had hardly ever played with. I, have you know, at least thrown the, the, the standard jig, like the football style jig. So I kind of knew about like a hopping retrieve for that. I, I've kind of seen that done, uh, on tactical bass and stuff. And you know what the, what the bite looks like, it kind of, you know, the will like see it hop, it'll kind of go right down to it. If it hops again, it'll follow it a little bit and then just, and so I'm, Mm -hmm. the bite is more of a, just a little, you know, not necessarily a a hammer or, you know.
1: Well, it depends. Like sometimes you'll feel that bite, like super aggressive, especially like in the spring, like pre, during, and just right after the spawn. Like, I think that bite is typically usually pretty aggressive, like summertime, like deep structure, things like that. A lot of times you'll go to hop and you feel it heavy and you just got to lay back into it and set the hook. And like my recommendation for that too, like I talk about it like when I fish a shaky head too, because it's kind of the same, same kind of thing is like, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll aggressively hit it where you'll feel it. Um, But other times, like, like I said, you'll go to lift up, it'll feel heavy. Hook sets are free, man. Just, just lay into it no matter what it is, if it's weeds, whatever. Like I've seen so many people, including myself, miss fish, just because you're like, ah, it's a weed. And then next thing you know, it's swimming off. And then you pull it right out of its mouth, you know, whereas you could have, could have just set into it. So same thing on a jig, man. Just if it feels heavy, you know, it could be that the head's stuck in a rock or something like that. Just set it, set it. You're better off, better off.
2: Right, right. No, no, that's, that's definitely good advice too. Hook sets are free. So, you know, until you really get the feel of what, what it what a, what a hit feels like and everything, you know, definitely lay into them and figure it out later. So. Another, another thing too, when we're
3: talking about retrieves, and I've learned this over the course of years, actually a buddy of mine, uh, Chris Quinn, uh, who fishes table rock quite frequently. Uh, he's here in Illinois, another Chicago fireman, but he's uh, there, there's a, Members only lake. Uh, it's not an only fan, so sorry guys, but it's a members only <laughs> it's a, uh, members only lake, uh, which was another quarry, which is just super deep. And you know, he was. And I learned this for him, and I apply and it. It does make sense. So when you're fishing deeper and you're doing a retrieve, I mean, deeper is relative, right? When we talk about waters, you know, what's deep to it. But nonetheless, you want to make your cast right. You want your lure to fall. You want that presentation to fall because I would say fifty percent of the time those fish are going to watch it fall and strike on that fall, especially in deeper water because they're they're sitting there. If you know that this is a target air fish, it's going to drop. Now let's say it doesn't hit on the drop. Slowly start reeling it because when you start going more if you start putting more hopping or if you're if you're reeling it and then you're you know if you're burning it and you're trying to go like this with it you are actually taking you're, you're making it look way less natural and you're gonna tend to not get bites because this is something that's throwing this fish off and if you're burning it while you're doing that you're just pulling it away further and further fish tend to be lethargic at times and we could go into the, about the whole feeding cycle, whatever. Most of the time, the strikes you're going to get are reaction strikes. And if you're burning along, making it very irritating, they're not going to bother with it. But if you're actually throwing it out, let it fall. And then nice, steady retrieve with a pop here, and a pop there. Real, give it a pop. Now it looks more natural because – you're already doing a lot just by reeling that line underwater. It's already making disturbance going off the bottom. So, you know, slow down. You don't have to burn it back. Let the lure do the work itself for you. I, you know, so I'd offer that up in retrieve technique as well.
2: I think um, it was Bass Geek. Uh, I was watching a, a, a video he did on jigs in preparation for this and um, one of the things that he said quite a few times, I believe is if you think you're fishing a jig too slow, slow down, slow down. Yep. yep. Yeah. And, um, uh, that was, uh, another, one of the things that definitely at first I I'm, I'm a hundred percent positive. I was working it way too much, moving it way too fast. So, um, now learning the Ned rig kind of helped me, you know, learn what slow is. So I think I, you know, the next time I throw it, I, I feel like, I'm going to be able to put this together but that's definitely one of the things you want to make sure you're going slow and and feeling everything that that bait is doing.
1: And that's another thing too like on a ned rig, you know, sometimes you do that slow drag. You could do that with a, a with a half ounce football jig too, and rock, you know, or even sand is good too because it what it'll do is it'll disturb that kind of catch the attention. But that slow drag too like you know, it's kind of similar in Nedrig, but it's a little bit heavier where if you're especially if you're dra- dragging across rock or gravel or something like that, that lead head or tungsten head is going to make a really loud ticking noise, which is going to draw attention to the fish and kind of give it that realistic sound of a crayfish, you know, dancing across, you know, gravel or rock. Um, so it's not a bad idea to like intermix like a slow drag. Hop, 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 slow drag, hop, hop, slow drag, hop, 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 you know, like change it up because bass or finicky, we know that like one day it could be working one way. One way it could be working another. Sometimes combine the two on your retrieve and say, okay, I caught this fish on a drag next fish i caught it on a drag again okay well i'm just going to keep dragging that jig and forget about the hops or vice versa caught it when i was hopping the jig uh didn't get anything while i was dragging it so you can kind of combine the two and kind of see what reaction is getting bit out of those fish you know versus the other so to speak there's another
3: there's another technique and you had mentioned uh tactical bass and um matt allen he said himself, um, you know, when you're fishing the net Rig, the net Rig itself, what you want to do is, and I think Brian, he used that same quote, hook sets are free. So you throw it out there and you literally pop, reel, pop, reel. goes, and until you feel something heavy on that line, set the hook. Whether it's weeds or a fish, it's going to be one or the other while you're fishing that net Rig. And absolutely true. I mean, there's if you go on my uh, on my uh, Instagram and my pages, some of the biggest, couple of the biggest fish I have have come off net rigs too. And you know, net. And again, we classify net rig as a jig because essentially, it what's a jig? It's a piece of tungsten or lead with a hook attached to it. This is a very finesse style um, stand up jig head. Your purpose is to have that bait stand up on the bottom. And Z-Man, with, with their padding, you know, gives it that buoyancy. So it's always standing up because of the last tech. And, uh, I mean, you can't beat it. It's small mouth candy, large mouth. Yep. When, uh, you know, when when the bike gets tough, go to the net rig, you know. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to show you guys, too, and we were talking about swim jigs, and this was answering your question earlier, Sean i share the screen, but what I would also put in the swim jig category that's also a swim bait is the almighty, the one and only dark sleeper. So, for those who don't know, this is the dark sleeper here. And I, I would categorize this as a swim jig. Why? There's a swim bait style head in there with a pad tail body. It's just designed differently um, with, you know, the hook being covered uh, by the, by the dorsal, yeah, by the dorsal fins, But the action and the techniques are the same when you're retrieving this. You know, you're going to be, uh, I, I fished it this weekend. And, you know, same thing. You're going to be kind of, what's a goby doing while it's down in the water? It's fishing. It's going around and it's trying to eat whatever's on the bottom there. And what's it doing? It's pissing off the fish because it's in that area. What are you going to do? You're going to reel it. You're going to pop it, reel it, pop it. And you're going to start getting those fish aggravated. And when those fish get aggravated, they take that bait. And, I mean, when Brian, you were there, Madison. Aside from the top water bites that I had, my two biggest fish for the, for that day, one got big fish and one got me up into fourth place. Got that was all on the dark sleeper. And it was just doing that same thing, just popping it to those fish got aggravated. Just like you would a swim jig.
2: Interesting. <laughs> uh, he's
1: giving all the juice away, man. <laughs> you need to close your mouth, JP. <laughs>
3: hey, this is for the noobs. No, I'm but just yes, kidding.
1: So- I'm, I'm totally kidding. Um, we- I, I just recently got into the dark sleeper and I saw my buddy this past weekend um doing the same thing you're talking about like a jigging motion as he was bringing that dark sleeper in and he caught a couple nice fish and i was running the shaky head i was catching fish he tossed that on and he was catching the same amount of fish i was hooking fish in the lip these fish were choking that thing yep which was crazy i was like I need to fish this. I know I have one. Like I need to dig it out. And I actually was at uh, Cabela's or Bass Pro this week and I picked up two more when I was there. Um, So, yeah, that's that's on my to do list uh, when I get back out (laughs) on the water is start fishing that dark sleeper a little bit.
3: They're fun, man. They are fun. Um, And you know what? It's funny because most uh, the whole reason why they're choked is the way that hook is. So yep. they're they're literally coming up behind it, inhaling it, and you're sending that hook while it's while it's in there. You're not waiting for it to do the bump bump. You're once you feel, I mean, you feel it right away. And another tip with it, do not I it, it would I would say I prefer doing more of a side sweep than a straight up hook set because I feel like I've lost fish too going straight up trying to hook set because now you're pulling it further away. Versus doing a side sweep, and you're you're getting that that hook up because the way it's positioned in there. Just something I noticed while doing hook sets with uh, the dark sleeper.
2: Gotcha. Interesting. All right. Well, so we've covered um, the different types. We've covered uh, retrieves. I want to talk a little bit about hardware, like uh, what you're throwing it on, you know, because I think that also is going to make a big difference. Um, so what kind of rods, what kind of line?
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, for the most part,
3: everything I'm doing is with uh, fluorocarbon. I'm using uh, at least minimum 12-pound tests. I'll sometimes go up to 15-pound test on a baitcaster. And I'm using uh, a medium-heavy fast-action power rod when uh, I'm throwing these jigs. Uh, medium-heavy power's in the butt, but the is in the tip. And then, uh, that's what it. she said, <laughs>
2: but Hey, this just turned into an after hour show. No, it no. sure did.
3: But, uh, I'll, you know, another thing to know too is, you know, retrieve wise, I use a, um, six to one gear ratio on my reels when I'm using those. Okay.
1: I'm way different than you, man. I was going <laughs> to say, what I had different... a
2: feeling, I, I had a feeling that we were going to have a, some differing opinions on this one. So,
1: No, I mean, like, uh, when I'm doing finesse jigs or swim jigs, I'll do the medium-heavy, fast-action tip. Um, I'm usually, like, and it depends on water clarity, but most of the time I'm using 12-pound Floral Clear by P-Line. And then when I'm doing, like, a a football jig, flipping jig, and that half-ounce or more, I'm usually using like 17 to 20 pound fluorocarbon. I like to use the P line uh, tactical floral. I think it's called Um, just because you're usually around structure or rocks or something. So you're around stuff that's going to abrade that line a lot easier. So you want a thicker line like the, the only way I would go down in line is if it was crystal clear water. Like table rock. But even still, I think when I was fishing that, I was probably using 17-pound test deep, you know. Um
3: Yeah, I had 15 for that yeah,
1: one. Yeah. Yeah, but I like, uh like, especially in the spring, um, pre-spawn, during the spawn and post-spawn, like if I'm fishing some real gnarly, rocky stuff, I'm definitely like 17 to 20-pound floral, floral clear or floral carbon straight floral carbon. Um, that tactical stuff that P line makes is nice and rigid. Um, and I'll flip into there. If it's like dirty water, you could definitely get away with like thrown braid. Um, but I, I, I like that floral carbon a little bit better. Yeah. And then when I'm throwing that half ounce or more, I'm going to a heavy rod, fast action tip um, or a heavier rod and I'm usually like, um, like with the finesse stuff, I usually like a seven two on the rod. Um, and then on that heavier stuff, I'm like seven four to a seven six, seven foot six rod. Um, just so okay. that way you got a little bit more leverage. Um, cause you, you know, that's the thing too, is those hook sets on a jig are usually pretty stout. So, you know, you got to really drive that hook home. So having that little bit more of a backbone on the rod is is sometimes better. Um, And then I'm using either 7.3 to 1 or 8.1 to 1 uh, reel speeds. Um, Just because, like, my theory on that is, like, especially when you're flipping, you're usually only, like, working a little bit of ground. Then you want to get it back to the boat as fast as possible flip it back out there or once you got it hooked you want to get it into the boat as fast as possible as well most of that action isn't while you're reeling it's it's the action that you're giving it through the rod so you know reel speed allows you to reel up that slack real quick especially like uh we were talking about earlier like bringing it over big drops or ledges or you know, big chunk rock like that, being able to get that slack up so you're not missing that bite when they're hitting it on that downfall. There's a lot of times those fish will hit when that jig, like, especially when you're bouncing, they'll hit it on the downfall um, or while it's just sitting there, uh, in my experience. So a little bit faster reel for me. Um, I don't think there's no right or wrong way. That's just wow. like the reason why I use those gear ratios.
3: I think it's worth mentioning too, and Brian mentioned I also have one um, setup that's a heavy action, or I'm sorry, um, heavy fast action that I use for when we talk about fishing mats and in fi- punching with heavier jigs, and I actually use that with a uh, with a braid to floral uh, leader, uh, but I wind up using sixty five pound braid on that baitcaster because you really. And like Brian said, it's not about it's not about the um, the speed that you're using that you know to retrieve that lure. It's about how fast you need to get get that fish out. Because when you're in the thick of it, uh, that braid cuts through, and if you have a faster gear ratio, that's going to pull that fish faster as well. So I do use that uh, in that same sense as well.
1: And it, it's the same thing too. And like that's part of the reason why I use the heavier line faster. A faster reel in a more rigid rod on like a half ounce to you know three quarter one ounce jig especially when i'm fishing lay downs is because there's probably a million branches down there and you want to get that fish out of that as quick as possible without allowing them to swim back down into that stuff and get hung up and then essentially get knocked off or you lose the fish or break off or whatever like that's another key reason too you want to be able to like Almost set the hook like where you set the hook and the fish comes flying out of the water in your boat like that's what you want to achieve like get (laughs) it out of that crap as soon as possible. Um, So having that backbone and being able to lean into that fish and control that fish a little bit more to get it back to the boat can sometimes be essential.
2: And I, like you said, I, I think another part of that is um, a lot of jigs tend to have those bigger, stouter hooks, and so to drive that hook point through, you're going to want a little bit more yeah. oomph behind it. You know, mm-hmm. um, yep. now Jig Masters does have their he, he has a series of light wire jigs that maybe uh, work a little bit more like like I would say a Ned rig almost, where you're kind of just kind of. Digging that in there that way like I I don't I want to say skin hook but that's not the right word for it It,
1: Yeah I know he brought the light wire on for the kayak guys and essentially like You're not planted as much as you are in a boat so like you got more movement like or being drug around so to speak Um, So it allows that hook to penetrate a lot better than a stouter hook so to speak when you're in a kayak Um, that was kind of the thought process behind that. So you didn't have to lean way back. Like, you know, for the instance you're sitting down, a lot of kayak guys are sitting down while they're fishing, you know, um, you can't necessarily snap or lean back into that fish as much as you could if you were standing on the deck of a boat. So that light, light wire hook, um, definitely helps with that. But there's points in time where, you know, you want that heavier, heavier hook um so it's one of those things you got to kind of play with it a little bit and kind of see what suits your needs i've used both i haven't seen a huge difference personally um but that's me and in the way i fish jigs but you know it's worth experimenting and seeing which which uh works better for you so to speak out of a kayak
2: right on right on cool all right well we're we're hit we hit the hour mark nice job gents um anything else I was gonna say like what, what do we miss anything I got two things but they're very very small
3: okay and One's smaller than the other but I just want to emphasize that when we talk about that's what she jigs, said I was <laughs> waiting
2: for that I was waiting for that
3: <laughs> so when we talk when we talk about hook line sinker baby when we, uh, <laughs> when we talk about you know jigs we got it also it's worth mentioning that the uh, chatterbait or the jackhammer is also considered a it essentially it's a jig. It does the same thing, but with the blade, you can fish it in an, in another tech in the technique of a consistent retrieve. However, there's no rules that say you can't jig because I have and I've caught fish, yep. throwing the chatterbait out and just jigging it and let that flutter go up with the blade and then let it flutter down and pit doing the same thing. You know, essentially it's the same technique with just the blade on it.
2: I, uh, I remember last year when we did the, the paddle and fin tournament, watching Brian do that. And uh, he was kind of, you know, not saying what he was doing, but I'm like, wait, you said you had a chatterbait tied on, but you're <laughs> yeah. jigging that. And you're like, oh, you know, but no, uh,
1: I, like, I like that yo-yo. And when, when you're retrieving it, just like a rip, Reel in the slack, rip it, reel in the slack, and nine times out of ten, they're hitting it on that deadfall. Um, especially, especially during the spawn. Like I've got a ton of bites, like especially in dirty water where you can't see the beds, and just ripping it and yo-yoing it across those beds like that, that it just irritates those fish and they just come up and hammer it. Yeah, and
3: when we talk about that too, so like you know, a so a jig, and when we talk about clear water, a lot of times jigs, clear water, they work um, for the fact that the fish are visually seeing that jig, right? But when it comes to dirty water, you're going to be using a uh, a bigger size jig or, like Brian just mentioned, the yo-yoing, because fish fill with their lateral lines. So if it's dirty water or stained water or whatever the case, uh, and you're creating that vibration, that water disturbance... They're going to feel that before they see it, but it's going to aggravate them and initiate a strike.
1: Yeah, so. totally. Totally. And uh, what was your guessing, second thing? the yeah, last yeah. thing
3: worth mentioning is uh, let me share this. Let's go back to our roots as uh, children. And what we like to uh, go even more finesse than the Nedric is this guy right here the old, trusty, uh, crappy <laughs> style jig heads. And, yep. you know, we talk about um you know we talk about it, but you know, those don't if you're having a hard time, a Mr. Twister tail and a jig like this will get you bass and you won't believe how many bass you were catch, even big bass, because yep. when you had to downsize and finesse that presentation, this is the ultimate finesse. It's different from the net because it's more it's you're using more of a swimming technique and jigging up and down because the nets are standing straight up. But this, this tail, this is meant to keep that tail floating throughout the water column. It's an especially deadly bait,
1: especially in a river situation as well. Yep, I was
2: just gonna say when we interviewed uh, Bill Schultz, I think uh, the Smalley monster man, he yeah, yeah. He, he loves uh, curly tail grub on a ballhead yep. jig, and um, yep. he said it's. You know, one of his best baits for smallmouth for sure. So
1: nice. I'll leave you with this. This is my last thing, and, and this is the most epic jig fishing story ever, ever. And I have ever. witnessed to this. We were <laughs> we were on Cowan Lake in Ohio for a paddle and fin meetup. It was myself, Jay Randall, and Josh Eldridge. Josh struggled all day to get a bite (laughs) i was fishing a jig i turned jay on to jig fishing at that event like he's like man i got jigs i never fish them kind of the same thing you're talking about sean i don't really know how to fish him this and that blah 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 blah, blah. so i was running them through how to fish it offered josh the same thing josh was struggling man it was hot as all get out it was fourth of july weekend and we're pre-fishing the day before the event And I've caught like six or seven fish, Jay's caught three or four, Eldridge zero. And we came back into this cut in the lake and there was a ton of timber on the bottom of the lake, like logs, bushes, things like that. So essentially what I was doing is casting the jig out, hopping the jig over those logs and I would get smacked. And I had just recently caught a fish as we were going back into this new little cove and I Jay Randall was right next to me and I said, watch this. I said, I'm gonna catch a fish from under Josh's boat. And Josh heard me <laughs> say it. I casted my jig and it was so close to the side of his boat when it hit the water, the water splashed up and hit Josh's elbow. I twitched it twice and I looked at Randall and I set the hook and I caught a fish from under his boat. And that was the day Josh Eldridge quit f- kayak fishing for a day. <laughs> he was just done. He was just done. So that is my, uh, epic jig fishing story. Catch nice. If you're ever fishing with Josh Eldridge, just fish under his boat. That's where the fish are. <laughs> nice. Feel well, some
2: takeaways that. for me that, uh, I, you know, didn't necessarily think of before when I thought of jig fishing is when you guys are talking of fishing at depth, you know, I always kind of pictured a jig as like, you know, the flipping kind of, Oh, you know, five foot, you're flipping in and pulling them back out. I didn't even think to try it on those, um, you know, 20 foot deep rod piles, but, uh, that's definitely going to be an application where I try it. And my one, I think what I'm looking forward to trying the most is, uh, the, the lake closest to me, uh, that's 15 miles away has, uh one whole stretch of shoreline that's riprap that goes from uh two foot five foot ten foot fifteen foot like so i i think if i just sit parallel to that that riprap and just hop it down that ledge you know those different depths it's gonna i think that's gonna be a good application so
1: what what i like doing in that scenario whether it be a jig or a different kind of bait like i know what you're talking about riprap it's like a drop it's almost like a dam right Mm-hmm. Um, cause I got that same situation here on my home. Like, so one of the favorite things I like to do is almost hit it at a diagonal. So you got a longer okay. retrieve. Okay. And then when you actually get hit, make mental note of like the depth area and then move into that depth area and then parallel the bank in that depth area. Because okay. if you're paralleling it and you're only paralleling it up shallow, like in the fish or you know in eight foot of water you're not going to get bit necessarily so like that's what i like to do in many different different scenarios like that is just kind of figure out what depth they're at first and then yeah. parallel and work that depth non-stop but what i will say is like in the evening or first thing in the morning more than likely those fish are going to be real tight shallow because they're pushing bait fish or whatever their forage is up against those rocks and they'll be right up there. So like I've gone early in the morning, flip right as close as I can to the bank, two hops off and bam, you're getting hit. Like that's a good spot to definitely go like try your jig fishing out.
2: Right. No. And I, I meant perpendicular as I, I said parallel, but I meant perpendicular. So, well, you're not um,
1: wrong by parallel. Like I would, I would start kind of perpendicular or at a, like a 45 degree angle, kind of figure out that depth and then right. work that bank parallel in that water column where there, those fish are kind of staged up is what right. I was kind of getting
2: at. No, that makes sense. Yep. No. And I, that makes sense too, because uh, that's kind of where I first had luck with the wacky rig is, you know, Up shallow first thing in the morning and that makes sense why that worked for me there because that's where they were you know sure but um, once that bite would shut off then i'd struggle because uh,
1: so when that bite shuts off then pull out your jig and start fishing it deeper like more than likely those fish are still there they just drop down in the water column you know like that's that's always a, a good rule of thumb and like something i always try out every time i go out fishing like First thing in the morning or last hour of, of light, like I'll fish the bank pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right after that or right before that, I'll work I'll work that deeper edge, you know, with your jig, your shaky head, like something closer to the bottom, sometimes a swim bait, things like that. And then as it like progresses into the evening, those fish will move up, or you know, vice versa.
2: Right.
1: Cool.
3: I'll give you one last piece here too. And again, I doing a lot today, and you do it a lot when you're jig fishing, especially in deeper water. But we talk about finding these humps or these rock piles or whatever the case may be. A lot of times you're you'll be sitting on a hump, or you might be sitting on a ledge that's going down, or you might be sitting on like a like a like a plateau where it just it edges out what you should really do before you start going around casting is go read your depth finder, right? Start looking at, start up. If you could do the three, if you could do a three image, do a, um, an avionics image of the late, you know, the structure, um, the layer you know, the layer map, do a chirp image and a down scan, right? Cause what you want to see is where the highest point of that is. And then be on that highest point. So now you're casting on the drops that are on both sides to you. You'll find when you're working deeper structure, a lot of time those fish don't necessarily sit on top, but they're gonna be sitting right, right on the edges. outside, right on those edges. And if you could work because if they're sitting on those edges, now they're gonna be looking at what's coming towards them because there's already their backs are already to that to that ledge. So now if it's working towards them they're more inclined to go forward away from there (coughs) while you're on your retrieve, coming back in. So
1: use your electronic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Enough
2: said. All right, guys. Well, again, I think that, you know, I definitely am looking forward to go out and trying it. And I think I'm, what I'm going to do is do one of those where that's all I take and I'm going to live and die by the jig. And, and, uh, you know, do it till I get it. So, but now I feel like I have a lot more confidence in where I should be throwing it and how. So I appreciate you guys coming on and, uh, you know, spilling a little bit of juice, but also just, you know, giving a general, pretty good layout, of A to Z of jig fishing. So do work,
1: bye. son.
3: Yep. <laughs> hey, we, we can only lead you to the water. It's up to you to catch the fish. <laughs> I will
1: make it happen. You'll get it. Yep. Yep. You'll get it. Just, just, it's one of those things, man. It's like any technique. You just got to go out and really give it a go. And, uh, you know, if you, if you look for those basic structure things and just really work them, you're going to end up getting bit. And that's something, too, like a lot of guys talk about. Like, if you want to keep it real simple, right? Like, you don't need to go out and buy 20 different colors, black and blue. Yep. peanut butter and jelly green and green pumpkin. Those three colors yep. is all you need to start with and, and just get trailers that kind of match that color pattern.
2: Yep. Cool. That. Yeah. Well, I already have, well, I have most of the tools. I, uh, I got to get a heavy rod and, uh, but I think, um, hopefully Brian might, uh, be helping me out with that here. So, oh, no. <laughs> But, um, yeah. So, well, Brian,
3: looks like you're giving your rods away for free.
2: <laughs> oh, no,
3: I'm, 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 I'll pay. I'll pay. We're good.
1: We're good. We're good. Oh,
2: he pays to play then.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, guys. Well, everyone, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, this has been the Bass Fishing for Noob segment here on the Paddle and Finn Podcast, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Good night, everyone.
1: Peace. See ya. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle in Fin. Thanks for tuning in run. to another killer episode on Paddle.
3: <laughs> Make note of the editing corrections here, boss. <laughs> Thanks
1: for tuning in to another. Why killer is that not running? It's running. Because... Is it? Yeah, it was running. Oops. Let's Thanks for tuning again. in to another killer episode on Paddle in Fin.